What an amazing God we serve. I love the lyrics of that last song, that God is the Waymaker. He's the God who led the Israelites out of slavery into the promised land, even in their sin, as they wandered in the desert and oftentimes turned their back against God, he was still there, literally making a way for them to live and survive. He's the same God who made a way for us to find salvation and reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He's the same God who did a tremendous and miraculous work in your heart and in my heart on the day when we were miraculously saved when we heard the gospel. That's our God. He's a way maker. He's the God who does things that no one else can do. He's the God that we turn to when all else fails. He's the God who does things that this world and our knowledge cannot understand or explain. He's the God of the miraculous. He's the God of our salvation. He's the God of our yesterday, the God of our today, and he is the God of tomorrow. He's the God in whom we find our hope, the God in whom we find our salvation, the God in whom we find our eternity in heaven. He is the way maker, our God, God of this heaven and this earth. I want to tell you a story this morning about a man named Ying Kai. He was a missionary for the International Mission Board. Uh, for a decade or so, he and his wife Grace served in Hong Kong. And uh, talks about this in, in uh, his story in the book that I've recently read and studied. And he talks about how in Hong Kong they, they, were, uh, they set a goal to uh, you know, plant churches to share the gospel and talked about how several years they had done that. And on average they were leading 30 to 40 people to the Lord every year. And over several years they had planted uh, over 200 churches. And you know that's pretty awesome, right? Well, the Lord laid it on his heart to move from where they were serving in Hong Kong uh, to go to inland China. And he, he said we were really afraid of moving, but we decided that was what God called us to do. And so they were moving to a new location. And when you do that when the, with the International Mission Board, you've got to make a strategy. So we're moving to a new area. How are we going to minister and share the gospel among these people? So he and his wife prepared to move to inland China. Little did they know until they really started to research these people that they were moving into an area that housed factories uh, in which millions of people uh, worked. So he was moving from Hong Kong to an area with over 20 million people. So Ying and Grace look at their ministry, which is awesome. 30 to 40 people saved a year, 200 churches planted over several years, and they're trying to apply that strategy to inland China among the folks working in factories. He's like, there's 20 million people here. We're never going to reach 20 million people using this strategy. And so he started, he changed the strategy and started sharing the gospel. Soon realized that their plan was too small. That God did in fact desire for these 20 million people to hear the gospel and to be saved. And Yin Kai changed his strategy. He didn't only share the gospel, he, he trained people how to share the gospel, who trained other people how to share the gospel. And before he knew it, he had exponential increase. Several decades, uh, two decades or so later, they planted 80,000 churches in that area and had over 2 million baptisms. 
Now you read that, it almost sounds unbelievable. In fact, the IMB, when he reported the people being saved and the churches being planted, called him and said, Brother Ying, it looks like you made a, an error in your report here. And he goes, I, okay. They said, you know, it looks here like, you know, you reported this many thousand people saved. He goes, yeah, that's right, that's true. They're like, are you sure? You know, they want to call him a liar, but, you know, that's a lot of people. He said, no, I'm sure I have it all recorded. And so they sent people to go visit him and his ministry and realize it was true. Thousands upon thousands of people saved. Exponential increase, thousands, tens of thousands of church, churches planted. When I was reading that, I felt like I was reading the book of Acts. Only it didn't happen 2,000 years ago. It, it happened a decade ago. It happened five years ago. It's happening today. Even today, even right now, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Thousands of people are being saved. God is the way maker. God desires to see magnificent things happen in this world today. God is not done saving people or growing his church. And guess what? God desires to do that in this church. We have 25,000 people in Key West proper. Key West. That doesn't count snowbirds, visitors, people that travel in and out. 25,000 people registered who live here full time. Maybe add another 10 or 15,000 on top of that. Do you think God loves them? Do you think God desires for them to be saved? I think he does too. Do you think God can save them? Who should tell them about Jesus? Us! So we have a formula here. God desires for 25,000 people in Key West to be saved. God provided a way for them to be saved by sending Jesus to die on the cross. God planted you and I here, born-again believers, sitting in this place. Our lives have been radically changed by the gospel, radically changed to make a difference. God put you here in this place, here today on this island, and given you a message that could radically change the life of someone on this island. When you add all of that up, that means that God desires to do a magnificent thing on this island, in the Keys. And we're it. We're the ones he wants to use to do these magnificent things. So, as we read this text today, it describes God moving in miraculous ways. Those miracles were indeed miraculous and amazing, and God did them, and God still does them today. But the miracles weren't the point of the story. The point of the story is these miracles pointed to the reality and the power of Jesus to save. And that's what we're talking about today. So take your Bibles out and open them up to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 verse 12. It says, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's columnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. So everything that was happening in the church at this time is a direct answer to prayer of the early disciples. Flip back a couple pages to Acts 4, 29 and 30. The church is growing by the thousands. They are 
faithfully, boldly preaching the gospel. They garner the attention of the religious leaders of the day who begin to persecute them. This is their prayer, the church's prayer, as they endure persecution and continue to grow. They say, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak, to your, wor- speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I'm going to ask you several penetrating questions this morning. These are questions that the Lord used and penetrated into my heart as I studied this text. Church, are we praying that prayer? Are we praying the prayer that the disciples just prayed in Acts 4? Are we asking God to help us to speak with boldness as God stretches out his hand and does miraculous things to point to the validity and the power of Jesus as Savior? Are we praying and actually asking God to help us to preach and proclaim the gospel with boldness? I want you to notice something. Peter and John are not the only ones who are involved now in these miraculous events. Now the other apostles are performing miracles. This text says that they perform signs and wonders. What, what are those? And, and what is a sign? What is a wonder? These are miraculous events that God empowered the apostles to do as an indicator that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he has the power to forgive sins, reconcile the lost back to God, and grant eternal life. So they performed these miracles for a specific end. Now, there was the benefit for many to be healed of serious illnesses and disease. And that was good. But that wasn't the point of the sign and the wonder. The signs, the wonders, the miracles in themselves were indications like a stop sign or a one-way sign or any other kind of road sign. They were indicators of who Jesus is because they did those signs, those wonders, those miracles in the name of Jesus. So it was, it was intended to point to Jesus. The apostles didn't do these things to gather crowds around themselves or as indicators of their own power and their own authority. They were just the ones that were, that were channeling God's grace to draw people to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, it's interesting. They are gathering regularly now in Solomon's portico. I don't know if you remember that from our study maybe three weeks ago. Peter and, and John are entering into the temple grounds through the beautiful gate. They see a man there who's unable to walk. And he tells them, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I got, I'm going to give you right now. Stand and be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. The man stands up. He's dancing around. He's jumping. Everybody's excited. They go into Solomon's portico, and Peter preaches the gospel, and thousands are saved. The religious leaders take note of this man who's been healed. They take note of the crowds that are gathered around Peter and John. They promptly arrest them. But they can't really do anything to them because it's undeniable that God is moving in a mighty way. So they threaten them to quit preaching the gospel, quit telling people that Jesus rose from the dead, and get out of here. So they leave, they go back and tell the church this is what happened. They pray the prayer in Acts chapter 4 that I just read to you. 
And they promptly go out and start preaching the gospel again. These guys are so filled with faith, they're so bold in sharing the gospel, that they went right back to that place where they were arrested. And they gathered there regularly, the text says, so that people would hear the gospel. There's one thing mentioned in that first verse there that I think is very interesting. It said that no one else dared join them. Verse 13, no one else dared join them, but the people spoke well of them. That's, that's an interesting verse. So the church is growing, but it just said there that no one dared to join them. What in the world does that mean? What that means is no one joined them just to see what was going on. The people that joined them on Solomon's Columnade were those who were all in. Those who were taking a step of faith to trust in Jesus. What had they just seen? What did we talk about last week? Ananias and Sapphira, what happened to them? Struck dead by God's judgment for lying. Right? So what's going on outside of the church at this time? The people notice this. The story gets out. These two people brought an offering. They lied about it. God struck them dead immediately. There's their graves right here. We saw them buried. Now the people are like, okay, you want to join this Jesus movement, you better be all in. Because they're not fooling around. It was judgment inside the church to purify the church of sin. What that did was garnish the respect of the world, of the people outside the church. So those who joined them knew, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. Now when we read those first two verses, perhaps you have a question. Can people perform signs and wonders today? Many people, called cessationists, and that's the theological term, meaning they believe that those signs and wonders were only for that period in church history. I don't believe that. I don't see anything in Scripture that indicates that that was to stop. In fact, I have testimony from friends of mine serving overseas that have seen miraculous works done and verified that God still works in that way. The purpose, however, for signs and wonders remains the same. It is not about the healing. It is not about the miraculous work. Those are intended to be signs that point to Jesus, His power, His authority as Messiah. It's meant to draw people to faith in God. If you ever experience someone who is performing these types of things and drawing people to themselves and attention to themselves and their ministry and not sending people and their gaze and their worship to God, their liars run from that ministry. The single greatest thing that stands out in this text to me isn't the sign in the wonder. It's the faith and the boldness of the believers who are willing to lay it on the line for Jesus. The apostles and, and the other Christians in the church are sharing the gospel in a very public way. They were meeting on the temple grounds, Solomon's Columnade, where once two of them were arrested and threatened. They did all of this in order to fulfill the Great Commission and to see people come to faith in Jesus. Are you willing to lay it on the line for Jesus? I mean, really. Are you willing to lay everything down for Him? Your health and well-being, your resources, your job, 
even your family? Are you willing to give those things to the Lord? To follow Him? To fulfill His will? Do we want to be used by God in a mighty way? That's really the question. Do you want to be used by God in a mighty way to make a difference in this world? Anybody in here? I mean, we know the right answer, right? Yes, I want yes. I love Jesus. I know the answer is yes, right? Yes, we do. Of course we do. That's why we're here. We follow Jesus. We want to be used by Jesus in a mighty way. So if we do, in fact, want to be used by him in a mighty way, that begs this question. Are you walking by faith in him, or are you walking by faith in your own power and ability? I want to be used by Jesus in a mighty way. So how do I accomplish being used by him? Am I going to accomplish that by walking in, in accordance to my own power or according to the power of the Lord? Let me give you a great example from my life. A while back, the Lord compelled me to share the gospel with somebody, another man. Um, and I was talking to him and uh, doing my three circles and, and sharing. I didn't really feel like anything was happening, you know. And he listened and listened intently, but I thought, oh, he's never, you know, he's not really interested. So I get through kind of presenting the gospel to this guy. And I say, you know, um, have you ever made this kind of decision? And he's like, no. I mean, it was like blunt, no. I'm like, all right. And I kind of felt like I was done, right? Like, okay, he's not interested. I'm not going to say anything else. But I, I needed to finish and button up the gospel, right? Because you need to ask the question. Would you like to receive Jesus? And I kind of said like this, well, you know, would you like to today? Right? I'm already assuming he's going to say no. Right? I've already made my decision. And God, by his grace and mercy, he blessed that instance. And the guy looks at me and goes, yes, I want to do that. I almost fell over. I'm like, what? Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And then he told me a story about how he had heard it before. He's been praying. He believes God sent me to him to tell him about Jesus. I had presented the gospel in obedience to the Lord under my own power, and God was still gracious to me to let me be a part of that man being saved. I think that we desire to be used by God for big things. We want to make a difference. But we want to make a difference in our own time, using our own power, doing things how we want to do them. But that's not how it works in God's economy of salvation. These believers were walking by faith in God. They were unified as a church. They were proclaiming the gospel under intense persecution. And they got to see God move in a mighty way. I want to see God move in a mighty way here. You want to see God move in a mighty way here. We want to see 25,000 people get saved at Key West. But what God tells us is if we want to be a part of that, if we want to be used by God for those miraculous works, we got to trust in Him. we got to walk in accordance with His power and in His authority, not by our own power and in our own authority. God uses believers who take steps of faith and depend on Him for the future and not upon ourselves. So if we, got, if we want to be used by Him, we've got to take steps of faith. 
and speak the gospel with boldness? Will we take steps of faith? Will we trust in God for the victory? Will we do something so magnificent in this church that at the end of the day, God is the only one who could get credit? We can't settle for accomplishing things under our own power, things for which we receive the credit. Instead, what if God did something so magnificent among us that the only answer was that God did that? We are a people who walk by faith and not by sight. We are a people who trust in our God for our salvation, for our future, and to work in this church. So Acts portrays this group of believers who, who are sold out for Jesus. They're willing to take huge steps of faith for his glory. So let's see what happens next. We're going to see that new believers are added to the congregation in verse 14. It says, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. The consequence of the church's faithfulness is miraculous. We thought the rapid extension of the church that we read about earlier in Acts was amazing. We ain't seen nothing yet. The words used to describe this text indicate an exponential growth of the church. Thousands upon thousands. God's getting ready to change the world through these believers in Jerusalem. What's interesting is that God's judgment of Ananias and Sapphira paired with the apostles producing signs and wonders in Solomon's portico left very little room for counterfeit Christians to join the church. Listen to what, scholar, listen to what one scholar writes. Luke was working with a paradox here. It is the same two-sidedness of the Spirit's power that had just been demonstrated in Ananias and Sapphira. The power of the miracles attract. The awesome power of the Spirit that judges also demands commitment and responsibility. Before that power, the crowd kept its distance with healthy respect, unless they were willing to fully submit to the power of the Spirit and to make a total life commitment. Let me just boil all that down in Key West language. You can't snorkel for lobster unless you get in the water. Okay? Anybody in here like to snorkel for lobster? You don't snorkel from lobster from the side of the boat, right? You got to jump in the water. Even if it's wintertime and it's really cold, you still got to get in the water. That's what the people surrounding the early church understood in this moment. We're not playing games. Two people just died because they were playing games. If we're going to be a part of this, we're all in. You're either all in or you're not in. And God moved through that. God calls us as a church to be all in. And God desires to do a mighty movement in this church. That could happen here. That could start today. I've seen God move in a mighty way a few times in my life. I was a part of one tremendous movement of God in college. Darlene and I both went to Flagler College up in St. Augustine, the northeastern part of the state. When I moved to Flagler, I was not a believer in Jesus. And God was gracious to me. My roommates were Christians. They were faithful. 
they shared the gospel with me. They challenged me to read the Bible, and I did, and God used them and other people in my life to draw me to Christ, and I got saved. But that wasn't all that God did at Flagler. Over that, over that next two, three semesters, person after person after person were saved. Hundreds were saved. This is a, a small private college, maybe one or 2,000 people. We ended up having a big event with over 300 people worshiping God at this small liberal arts college. God had moved in a mighty way through believers sharing the gospel, living life, and demonstrating faithfulness to God. And God was faithful to their investment in the kingdom. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're still here. You know what that means? God is still in the business of growing his church. God still desires for people to be saved. And God desires for you and me to do that, to share the gospel. I know that the fields are white for the harvest here in Key West. Every Sunday, we have, we have dozens of visitors in this church. When I go out of this place and talk to people about the Lord, most of the time people are happy to talk about it. Not everybody gets saved, but people are open. I'm telling you, this place is ripe for the gospel. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, they're ready to hear what you have to say. People will be saved. The church will grow. God will get the credit. When I look up and, and see this congregation this morning, I don't just see brothers and sisters in Christ. I see missionaries. I see people with a wonderful testimony in their heart that could leave this place today and go out and start to share that message. I see a future in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ with testimonies and stories about people being saved, about faithful believers sharing the gospel and taking steps of faith to serve in this church. God desires to do that here. God desires to use you to accomplish that miraculous work. All right, let's go back and look at our text one more time. We're going to see that the sick are healed and prophecy is fulfilled in verses 15 and 16. It says, as a result, this is a result of people being healed, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that Peter, when Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The word had got now. This Jesus from Nazareth who was once dead and rose again, he's empowering these, these religious teachers, these apostles to heal. They're proclaiming the gospel about Jesus and salvation that's provided through him. This movement that, that once started in, in an upper room in Jerusalem with 120 people had exponentially increased. Thousands upon thousands of people had been saved and the church was growing and they were boldly sharing the gospel. On top of that, people were coming from outside of Jerusalem and laying people on the streets so that they could be healed by the Lord Jesus. Throughout this, the Lord continues to grow the church. He continues to heal people. The events that Luke describes here are magnificent indeed. 
They're similar to the way that Jesus healed while he was walking on this earth. Matthew 9.20, the woman who was bleeding came up and just grabbed part of his garment, and she was miraculously healed. The apostles did this when Jesus sent them out in Matthew chapter 10. This ministry that's happening right now in this part of the text directly fulfills Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah and the book of Psalms. Jesus talks about this in Luke 4, 18 through 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, we don't necessarily see Jesus heal the sick or exercise demons as much in America today as we read about here, but he is doing that in other parts of the world. Why or why he does not do that here is his own prerogative. Whatever methods are used are simply signs to show the power of the Lord, and God is still at work, and he's at work in this church. You might say, tell me, preacher, tell me how God's at work in this church. Let me take you back to one year ago today. One year ago. One year ago, me and like half a dozen people were in this church at this time on Sunday morning having church. Y'all were at home, hopefully watching online. All of us were wondering, will we ever get to go back to church? Will we ever be back in this building? One year ago, we asked those questions, trusting in God that he would take care of us. One year ago, and now look at us. We're back. We're worshiping together. We're fellowshipping together. People are being saved. We're baptizing. We're growing. One year ago, we weren't sure if we would have the resources we need to continue on as a church to continue on with our ministry. Now, today, one year later, this congregation remains faithful in giving your time, your talent, your finances. And the ministry continues. It continues not in our own power, our own abilities, our, our own finances. It continues because God decided that he put a church here and this church will remain here and we will be a light in Key West for the Lord. God did that among us. That is miraculous indeed. We have no reason to believe that we're here because we made it happen. Only God could do that, and he will continue to do that among us. Do you want to see God move in Fifth Street Baptist Church in a miraculous way? Do you want to see God move in a miraculous way at Fifth Street Baptist Church? Yes, so do I. So do I. God's movement is not something we control, but obviously there are things that he calls us to do. And when we're obedient in doing those things, God moves. Do we believe that Jesus desires to save people here in Key West? Yes. Do we believe that Jesus has the power to save people here in Key West? Who does Jesus call to tell people about his power to save them here in Key West? All right, let's get to it, right? Let's get to it. Will we take a step of faith?
if we really, really, really believe that Jesus saves, that Jesus desires to save our neighbors and our families and our coworkers, if we really believe that, and we believe that he can do it, we should tell him. Sometimes we make the mistake of, of reading the book of Acts and, and we think, this is amazing. It's full of miracles and the church grew and, and, and what, a, what a fine piece of history. This did happen at one point in the past. But things like this happen today. They're happening today. And it could happen here. So here's the challenge today. Our team's going to come back up here. We're going to do a time of invitation. And the first thing I want to challenge you to do is seven and seven, okay? Remember the, word, num- remember the number seven. I want you to commit to pray for seven minutes every day for the next seven days. Seven and seven. Seven minutes over the next seven days and pray three things. First, ask the Lord to open your eyes to the lost in this community. You know what's going to happen when you ask the Lord to open up your eyes to see people who need Jesus? He's going to do that. Guarantee it. I've issued this challenge to thousands of people. Not one person ever came back and said, nah, Jesus didn't do that. He will do it. Pray that God will open your eyes to see the lost in this community. Second, ask God to give you a heart for this place, for the people of Key West. Ask him to break your heart. Ask him to make you feel uncomfortable. And finally, ask him to move in miraculous ways here, leading people to faith. Seven minutes over the next seven days. This moment today, this could be the beginning of an amazing movement of God. It could be. He desires for it to be. Will we step out in faith and boldness and step forward and fulfill this challenge that God's laid in front of us? In a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. We're going to sing a song together. If you have a decision to make today, if you want to come and pray at the altar, it's open. I'll pray with you. If you need to be saved, if you want to be baptized or join the church, whatever that decision is, come talk to me. Or if you just want to pray, come up here and you can pray. Don't let this moment pass, this moment of decision. If the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, surrender to that. Take a step of faith. Take a step out of the pew. Come forward and let's pray together. I want to invite everyone to stand now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. As Jeffrey said earlier, today is a day that you have made. You've ordained and designed this moment in time for the gospel to be proclaimed, for the church to hear the word preached, and for us to respond. Help us to take a step of faith now in response to whatever it is you've called us to do. We love and trust you in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray.